So what I want you to see that for Peter, for Peter, in order for us, and not just Peter, but the other apostles as well, in order for us to understand the, the present and to be able to view into the future, it is important that we have our feet and our minds firmly fixed in what God has done in the past. That's why Peter says, I'll put you in remembrance of these things. So when Peter wants to teach about false, uh, about false teachers, he doesn't go into the future. He goes back to the past. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? In, in the book of Isaiah, excuse me, in the book of uh, Jeremiah that we've already uh, uh, had uh, read to us uh, this morning, but in Jeremiah chapter uh, six, verse sixteen, a, a very kind of fundamental passage of scripture. Uh, uh, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, "Thus saith the Lord: Stand ye in the ways and seek and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way?" And walk ye therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Again, the old paths. It's going back. It's, it's making sure that our feet are firmly fixed in the revelation that God has given. Let a prophet in the Old Testament uh, prophesy. And what would he prophesy? That the people to, were to return to the covenant that God had made with them. And so, again, the idea here now is that if we are going to understand false teachers in our day, we must have an understanding, a grasp, of what false prophecy was in days gone by. And the other thing that we're going to see here is Peter moves on throughout this chapter. He's going to come back to the past once again. Because one of the things that he's going to insist on, that you and I need to be aware of, is that false teachers have, again, that future perdition. And in order to ensure that we are convinced of that, what Peter will do is he will go to three great historical episodes in the past to confirm the future judgment on false teachers. Where does he go? Look again in, in verses 4 through 6 of, uh, of 2 Peter chapter 2. If God spared not the angels that sinned, this is what we might say happened in prehistory. There was a rebellion in heaven against God. And what did God do? Write it off and think nothing of it? No, he judged those who rebelled. Again, we see it again in the days of Noah. God brought judgment. We see it again in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. What are we seeing here? Is that when individuals go against what God has commanded, judgment comes. And so again, Peter is going into the past in order that we might navigate the present and see into the future. You see, are you willing to take up the word of God in this way? You see, this is what the word of God calls us to. And Peter warns us and reminds us then of the distinction between the true and the false prophet. And what this, remind, what this brings us to is the doctrine of the text in front of us. And the doctrine that's in front of us from this passage of scripture is relatively simple. It's right to the point. The main point, I would say, would be this. That, there are false, that false teachers are a present threat in the church today. Now we're not looking just into the past. Now we're not looking just into the future. False teachers are a present threat today. Can I be very frank with you? I labor under that reality. Amen. I labor under the reality that I must not only warn you against false teachers, I must before God and before God's people pray that God would keep me true to his word. Can I put it to you very bluntly so that I don't lose my mind in the middle of this whole thing? Pray for me, brothers and sisters, seriously. Why? Because false teachers are a present threat to the church today. This isn't just something in the future we have to worry about. It isn't something out there that we have to worry about. One of the things that we're going to see by way of our outline is that the sphere of false teachers isn't out in the world, it's in the church. 
And so again, we must be very, very careful of these things. So again, if we come back to the idea of, of, a, of a true and a false prophet, a true and a false uh, uh, teacher, how do we again explain these things? Well, I want to repeat my point once again. Remember, a prophet is that man who's been commissioned by God, called of God, and sent of God with a message from God for his people. Let me say this. In that sense, there are no prophets today. Revelation, in that sense, has ceased. Some of the greatest disasters that have come upon the church, and I wish I would have brought it in my, in my notes. I, I, I set it aside, but I didn't bring it in my notes that I printed. Um, uh, an episode in the life of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Again, using language so close to biblical language, and yet when it's all said and done, we have to count Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, as a false prophet in the history of the church. You see, they're still with us today. And so again, what is that the prophet? We've explained him as a, as a man sent and commissioned by God who speaks from God, uh, for, uh, uh, for, uh, from God uh, to the benefit of the people. A teacher, again, conversely, is a man who teaches the things that God has already revealed in his word. Now again, there were false teachers and prophets then. There are false teachers and sadly prophets today. Now, one of the things uh, that we see is that uh, when we look at the comparison between the two, again, the, the prophet has that revelatory function. The teacher has that explanatory function. But if we were to take a look at the difference between prophets and teachers and the difference between true prophets, excuse me, true teachers and false teachers, what I would say to you would be the following. The teacher, once again, explains what God has revealed in the Bible. We've made that point. The other thing I want you to see about that is about a teacher is this, a true teacher, is that a teacher is a man who's been called by God and gifted by Christ. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, that Christ gave certain gifts to the church, and those gifts genuinely or literally are men that he has gifted. He's given, again, apostles and Teachers and pastors for what? For the edifying of the church, for the building up of the saints. And so again, <clears throat> a man, if he is to be a teacher, a true teacher in the church, he must be called of God and gifted by Christ. Also, if a man is to be a, a true teacher in the church, he is to exemplify what he teaches. Remember what Paul says to Timothy, you know what manner of life I lived among you. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 23 about the Pharisees, they, they teach and do not. So a teacher is to do the very things that he teaches. There's not to be, and we all know this, this is elementary, there's not, there's not to be, particularly in a Christian pulpit, do what I say but not as I do. That the Christian teacher, the Christian preacher is to live up to what God has given him to preach. Again, the, the need for prayer in this matter. We also see, again, that, uh, that, a, that, a that the teacher is not to teach anything other than that which, has been that which has been revealed in the Word. In other words, he's not to teach a new doctrine. What new thing is God doing today? <laughs> Nothing other than what he's done in his Word, okay? What new thing is God doing today? He's saving sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Same as he's always done. What new thing is God doing today? He's conforming sinners into the image of Jesus Christ. The same that he's ever done. 
And so again, what we see is that the teacher is to preach the word like Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word. Not your dreams. Not some new vision. Not some new prophecy. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. Also, we see that a teacher, a true teacher, he must teach the whole counsel of God. Isn't this again what Paul said to the Ephesians elders? I've not failed to teach and to preach unto you the whole counsel of God. We have men in our day who, by way of design of their ministry, will not enter into certain subjects to preach. A so-called Christian minister doesn't have that option in front of him. He must teach the whole counsel of God. What the Word of God says is the range and the scope of his teaching ministry. He cannot conveniently choose not to mention that. See, in our day, we don't have too many preachers that says, too many preachers that say, I'm only going to preach the judgment of God. I'm only going to preach the judgment. We don't have too many like that. <laughs> we have a lot that say, I'm only going to teach the, uh, teach the blessing of God. But both men would be in error. What good would I do to you as a preacher if I came here, if I came and only preached against your sin? What good would I be? But if I preach against your sin and show you Jesus Christ, now there's the, there's the whole thrust of what the gospel is all about. And again, what if I preached to you only the blessings of God and never reminded you of your sin, and never reminded us that we must repent before God and live according to what God calls us to live? You see, again, there would be this grave missing of the mark. And isn't that what we saw between the, if I can put it this way, the contest between Hananiah and Jeremiah last week? Remember, Jeremiah, excuse me, Hananiah came in, and there he was, one of the court prophets. He was one of the, he was one of the accepted preachers. He was one of the preachers on the payroll of the king. And so there he was, and what was he doing? You remember, he was prophesying very many things that sounded just like God would say. The, the vessels of the, of, the, of the temple were going to be brought back to, Jer- to Jerusalem. Hey, who can be against that? The king was going to be brought back to Jerusalem. Hey, the, the Davidic line was going to be reestablished. The people of God were going to be brought back. The blessings of God are upon the people of God. But what does God say through Jeremiah? Now was not the time to preach the blessing of God. Why? Because the people were under judgment for their sin and repentance must come. So a false prophet would be that man who was teaching blessing, excuse me, preaching blessing when he should have been preaching the judgment of God and the call for repentance. They must be brought, both be brought together. There's not the one without the other. And so again, the, te- uh, the, the true uh, teacher, as, as the Apostle Paul, he teaches the whole counsel of God. A true teacher as well is to, is to properly handle the word of God. He is the, in the words of the Apostle, again, he is to rightly divide the word of God. Now, I think this is, a, this is an issue that we have to be aware of in our day because we live in a day where most of us can turn on the TV, turn on the radio and hear preaching and watch men preach, can't we? But the real question is, are we observing a proper dividing of the word of God? What do we mean by that? Are the proper points of emphasis being made? Is the scripture being used not to promote your health and wealth, but is the scripture being used to promote your godliness and your holiness? You see, is it being used first and foremost to bring you into, into a confrontation with this God who is judging sin, but yet who comes to you in Jesus Christ offering pardon? Or is it about success in life? Or is it about how you can have things here and now? You see, again, so many times, and I have to admit, I maybe and I, I'll probably have to change here. I don't spend a lot of time 
listening or watching a lot of the contemporary preaching that goes on. I, I have my few what I would call trusted resources, but I don't just sit down or have the TV on and, and have these men preaching, you know, uh, however and wherever. But from time to time, I've had to look at men and sometimes even women who, who again, from the scriptures, shouldn't be in a, in a place of pastoral authority. And there they are. They're preaching and they're, and they're using the word of God and they have a Bible open in front of them. And sometimes they're, they're going into some detail. But what's the overall thrust? It's not, again, as Paul says to, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, one verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 6. And just turn there real quick because this becomes something of a, an important passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, again, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law. They neither understand what they say or whereof they affirm. And again, the idea here is that there is to be this conformity of life to godliness that is given to us in the Scriptures. And if we hear teaching that is contrary to that, again, it's problematic, very, very problematic. And so again, the teacher of the word of God is to rightly divide the scripture in such a way that prioritizes Jesus Christ as Savior and the work of holiness in the life of the individual Christian. This is why Paul uses that phrase where he says that there is a, a form of sound words. In other places, he speaks about uh, those faithful sayings of Scripture. Those faithful sayings of Scripture are those points of emphasis that are, be, are to be given in our preaching. You remember when we, uh, when we uh, preached from uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3.16, how that, again, the church is the pillar, excuse me, the church is the pillar and ground of truth, and on the top of that pillar and ground of truth is the person of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus Christ is to be prioritized in all of our preaching. And that's the point that we see here. And isn't this even what our Lord Jesus Christ did? There in Luke chapter 24, what did he do? He preached from the Old Testament scriptures everything concerning himself. And so again, just because somebody has an open Bible in front of them, and just because somebody is explaining things from the Bible, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a true teacher. There must be a proper ordering of the Word of God, a right division of the Word of God, an emphasis that gives place to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that this is one of the points that these false teachers deny. Look again here in Second Peter. Second Peter uh, chapter 2. And what do we see here again in verse 1? They who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Now this denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to take a look at that in probably in weeks to come. But the denial of the Lord Jesus Christ comes in a twofold way, essentially. It can be, number one, a doctrinal denial of his essential deity, but can also be a practical denial of the lordship that he exercises over our lives. And so what we're going to see by way of the false teachers is that the false teachers are always prioritizing their, themselves. They're always prioritizing self over the spiritual matters of the soul. And so again, we'll, we'll take a look at that as we, as we go on. And so again, this is, what a, uh, this is what a true teacher must do. 
Again, let me just give you a, a rundown very quickly again. He must exemplify what he teaches. He must be called and gifted by Christ. He must teach only that which is revealed in Scripture. He must uh, teach the whole revelation of God. He must rightly divide the Word of God. He must teach it in a way that gives emphasis to God's intention in giving the Scripture, which is the salvation of sinners and the formation of godliness within them. That's the thrust of Scripture. That's what, we, that's what a true teacher is intent on doing. Conversely now, what will false teachers do? False teachers will do the following. Number one, they will use the Bible, but they will distort it, but usually in very subtle ways. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul says this, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, wholesome words, not just any words that come out of somebody's mouth when they have a Bible in front of them, but right, good, and godly words, wholesome words. He goes on to say this, if they, if they teach otherwise, even uh, um, and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Listen to your preachers. Listen to your teachers on the radio. Is there a thrust and an emphasis on godliness? Or is it on personal gain? <clears throat> That's what we're seeing. Uh, again, Paul emphasized here. Paul goes on to say about these false teachers. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about with questions and strifes and words, whereof comes envy, strife and railings, evil surmisings. Again, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Notice again the, 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 the contrasting ways in which godliness is used here. In verse 3, the doctrine which is according to godliness and verse 5, supposing that gain is godliness. You see how this thing is completely turned on its head. Whereas the false teacher thinks the more he can get out of you for himself is a form of godliness, as strange as that might seem. The true teacher understands that the formation of the character of Christ within our souls is what the giving of the word of God is all about. The false teacher will distort, as I said before. He will corrupt the word of God. He will use it deceitfully. 2 Corinthians 7, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Again, what is Paul doing? No distortion here. No corruption of the word of God, but a preaching of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. And listen to what Paul says now. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Remember I said that the true preacher must live what he teaches, must live what he preaches. What does Paul say? He commends himself in the sight of every man. Not using the word of God corruptly. Not distorting it. And so again, the, the false teacher, again, will distort it in subtle ways. It will all be about himself, his gain. He will distort, he will corrupt the word of God. He will use it deceitfully. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Paul picks up on this theme again. He says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. What did I say? What did we say earlier about a, true, uh, about a true teacher? He teaches what's revealed in the word of God. And these false teachers are coming in and they're teaching things contrary to the doctrine which has been received. 
He goes on to say this uh, in verse 18. For they are such which serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Here is a denying of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say this. Another characteristic of false teachers. We're going to pick up this in a minute. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. This is another characteristic about false teachers. False teachers are very, usually very, very, well, they're slick. They have it down. They are very uh, adept at what they do. And all these points are going to be brought out in this second chapter of 2 Peter. False teachers also will teach in order to benefit themselves. That's what Peter says here in, in our own passage here in verse 3. Look, Just look in verse 3 of 2 Peter there, and I'll, I'll read here from the ESV. I think it might bring it a little clearer here in the ESV, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And in greed, they will exploit you with false words. King James says they will make merchandise of you. Maybe a more picturesque way, but a clearer way is that in greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Exploiting you with false words, making merchandise of you. You see, these men, again, know how to get the best out of you for the best of them. And so again, it's something that we see over and over again. Listen to Isaiah chapter 56, verses uh, verses, uh, 10 through 12. Isaiah 56, the same idea of this greed. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Listen to this now. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Every one for his gain from his quarter. Come, ye say, they, they say, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. These men are sensual materialists looking for gain. Greedy men. These are the same characteristics that Peter is going to bring up here in the second chapter. So again, I'm bringing these things out not to, not to uh, weigh you down with excessive references, but I want you to see that these things are very, very clear. And that's the point that Peter is insistent on making. When he talks about false teachers who are in the church today, he gives such a vivid description of them that we should wonder how these men and sometimes women can even get a place uh, with, with anywhere near a Christian pulpit. But they do. And so again, the things that Peter brings out here. One more thing about false teachers, though, is that false teaching comes at a terrible price. Yes, we've seen that they teach to benefit themselves. We've seen that they corrupt the word of God. We've seen that they distort the word of God. We've seen that their God is their belly. But at the end of the day, it is a very costly thing to be a false teacher. And and we're glad of it. Men who distort the scriptures this way should come under the wrath and judgment of God. Listen to this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For it would have been better for them never have known the way of righteousness. Imagine an apostle of God saying that. Saying to a man, it would have been better for you if you never knew the way of righteousness. Because you've distorted it so so bad. And you've brought souls into ruin because of your own seeking of your own gain. And so again, it is a costly thing to be a false teacher. It's interesting that false teachers are pictured in the scripture in a a number of categories, we might say. 
Number one, the scripture uh, uh, presents them as unstable and unreliable. In the book of Jude and in 2 Peter, they're referred as, as waves being tossed about. They're referred to as wandering stars. They're referred to as the mist that is driven by the wind. What's the intention of every one of those images? To show the unstableness of these, uh, of these teachers. They are also referred to as dangerous. They are referred to as hidden reefs and a beast and blind Pharisees. The blind Pharisee who leads the, the who blindly leads the other blind into the ditch. Again, the, the hidden reefs upon which uh, ships are wrecked. Uh, the the beast that will devour and eat. They are also referred to in what we might call disappointing and useless categories. They are waterless springs. They are uh, waterless clouds. They are fruitless trees. And then just in a, in a, just bringing together in a general way, they are also referred to as physical blemishes. They are referred to as accursed children. They are referred to as shepherds who feed themselves. You see, the pictures, the lines are very, very clear here in the word of God as to what false teachers are. And we, by the grace of God, ought not to fall under their ministry. May God help us and may God save us. And this brings us to the point where Peter says here, again, back in our text now, we've kind of looked at at false teachers and false prophets in a general way. We want to take a look now at false teachers in a specific way, specific to the text. Notice what Peter says here now, again, in in verse 1 of chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Peter doesn't say even as though you better watch out because there may be false teachers. He doesn't say, boy, I'm glad glad those days are gone. He says there shall be false teachers among you. And we see this again emphasized in the scripture. It's one of these themes that come up over and over again. Jude verse 4, for there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Very much a parallel passage of scripture. Certain men crept in unawares. They were already in the church, Jude was saying. In Acts chapter 20, Verse uh, uh, verse 30, Paul says this to the Ephesian elders, And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. That, that chapter there, that episode in, in Acts chapter 20 must have been a, a very emotional a moment in the life of the Apostle Paul. There he was leaving this congregation that he loved, these people that he loved, knowing that he would never see him this side of heaven again. But also having to say to them, I know. That some of the men I'm looking at or certainly among your, your circle that you have to do with shall men arise teaching perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves. And why does the false teacher draw disciples after themselves? Because as I said before, it's all about what they can gain from you. They exploit you. They make merchandise of you. And those are the very things that we see being worn of the same, same thing by way of the Apostle John. Again, First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they be from God. For many false prophets are gone into the, into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. 
And so again, when John makes this emphasis that every, 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 every spirit that, that preaches that, uh, that Jesus Christ has come into the world, he's speaking about the whole biblical structure of the presentation of the person of Christ. He's not just saying, okay, that, yeah, I know, historically, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was supposed to be uh, the divine son of God come into human history. He's not saying that if somebody says that, they're okay. He's talking about the whole structure of revealed truth as it centers on the person of Jesus Christ. That's the standard of teaching. That's why, again, we can't pull back this part of the scripture or that part of the scripture. The whole counsel of God must be proclaimed. And so, again, the sphere of operation is in the church. <clears throat> Two other, another place brings this out in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. And because of false brethren unawares brought in. And so we see these false teachers here in the church. You see, we need to be a praying church. We need to pray for our sister churches. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray that we don't fall under the spell of these false teachers. Oh, may God give us grace. Well, because false teaching is such a very real uh, concern and, and a very real danger, what Peter's going to do in this second chapter, he's going to give five indelible marks for us to know and understand who and what false teachers are. Five marks in, in, in this second chapter. And I'm going to kind of go through them quickly. If you want to take some notes down, you can, you can do that. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go somewhat quickly here. But I want you to see that false teachers, first of all, again, deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 1. But we also see something of a reference to it in verse 10. These false teachers despise authority. Now again, some think that that is a reference to the authority of Jesus Christ. Some think that's a reference to, 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 to lawful authority that God has ordained. But at the end of the day, these false teachers don't want to be under the lordship of anything but their own lust. And we'll see that here in a minute. So in verses 1 through 10, what we find is a denial of the lordship of Christ, either in his essential deity or his lawful rule over having purchased us with his blood. Now let me say this. It may be somewhat difficult for a false teacher to gain access into the church of Jesus Christ by a formal denial of his divine nature, although some have done it in the past. And that's why many commentators think that what these false teachers are guilty of is a denial of the lordship of Jesus Christ over their personal lives. Do you and I know what that is? The lordship of Jesus Christ. That very simple prayer that, that is a pattern of our praying uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my will, but thy will be done. Oh Lord God, what would you have for me this day? What would you have me to do in this situation? How can I best honor and glorify you here and now? You see the false teacher, again, doesn't know that prayer. Secondly, what we see, and this is, this is vital. Secondly, what we see is that sexual sins are a revealing mark of false teachers. We see this in verse 2, verse 9, verse 10, verse 14, and verse 18. Over and over again, this is where the emphasis, uh, this is, where the emphasis is laid on the immoral lives of these individuals. Again, verses 2, verses 9, verses 10, 14, and 18 all have some reference to the immoral lives of these individuals. That leads us to say this about their overall character. 
That these men and sometimes women are sensual and more concerned about satisfying the flesh than they are about strengthening the spirit. They are sensual individuals. It's all about this life and the pleasures and the, and the joys of this life and the ungodly joys of this life apart from a prioritizing of the formation of godliness and Christ-like character in the individual. And we see this in verses 13, verse 12, verse 10, and verse 18. Again, um, just um, uh, look what we see here in, um, in verse 13. And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they counted pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spot, me, spots they are and blemishes. Excuse me. <coughs> Sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised on the covetous practices, cursed children. These are very sensual people. It is more about the gratification of life here and now, immorally, than it is about the establishing of God's work in the soul. But this is not all that we see. We see in verses 3, 10, 12, and 18, and 19, the following, that they are slick and arrogant deceivers. This is another one of the hallmarks of them. We, we read about them speaking great swelling words. We read about them using persuasive speech. We read about them having this real facility of, of being able to make a persuasive argument in order to beguile the simple. And again, we see this, as I said, verses 3, 10, 12, 18, and 19. And then lastly, we come down to a point that we've already seen about, that, about these false teachers is that they are greedy. And we see this in verses 3 and 15. Verse uh, 3, once again, and through covetousness or through greed, excuse me, as the ESV says, they with feigned words, there's their slick, there's their slick ability. They shall make merchandise or they shall exploit you. And so again, what we see here is a very vivid description of false teachers. We almost wonder when it's all said and done, how can anybody be beguiled by these men? The, the outline is so clear here in the word of God. But I think the reason why it happens is, is because, number one, we don't always listen with our guard up. Number two, we have something, and, I, and if you'll allow me something of an innocence about ourselves, or we are maybe hoping the best when we see somebody with an open Bible in their hand and the name of Jesus on their lips, we think that, hey, they're just like we are. And that's certainly not necessarily, necessarily the case. Now, again, not everybody who agrees or, or disagrees with us doctrinally is a, is a false teacher. We understand that. There is, if I can use the term, a, a Catholicity, and I don't mean that in the sense of a wrong but I mean the idea of a, of a Catholicity that, that extends beyond uh, the bounds of, a, of, of our own little Baptist circles, we might say. Not afraid to, again, join arm in arm with another true professing believer in, in Jesus Christ. And so that's not what Peter is talking about here. But what Peter is talking about is those individuals who are using the scripture to satisfy and to gratify their own sinful nature. They are trading on the scripture in order to benefit themselves. And that's why swift destruction shall come upon them. That's why it is a dangerous thing to be a false teacher. That's why, again, their perdition shall most certainly come. And so all these things by way of what we see these false teachers. Now, stop and think of what we've been dealing with. All this falsehood. 
Remember last week we talked about there's there's false teachers, there's false prophets, there's false brethren, there's false witnesses, there's a false gospel sometimes that's out there being preached. There's all kind of falsehood. What is the antidote to this falsehood? Well, you know what it is. It's the person of Jesus Christ himself who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the fog of false, excuse me, in the fog of falsehood, Jesus Christ stands as the true lighthouse of God, directing sinners to his heavenly Father. Oh, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ comes to us in the scripture as the true light? Aren't you glad he comes to us as the true uh, bread? Aren't you glad he is the true vine, the true witness, the true sovereign? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, he is even, in the words of the Apostle John, the true God. You see, it's Jesus Christ is the truth who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see, again, it's this idea that truth is that which is both propositional by way of it is that which is true in and of itself. It's personal in that it focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. But we can also say this about truth. Truth is that which is devoid or lacks deceit. There is no deceit in truth. And this is, again, exactly what the Apostle John says. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. I write unto you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Well, here's another one of these apostles that just keeps on repeating these things over and over again. He keeps reminding us of these things. And because no lie is of the truth. There's one of our little definitions of truth. What is truth? Truth is that which has no deceit in it. It has no lie in it. Verse 22, who is the liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And again, let's make sure that we understand that John is embracing everything that he said about the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 John. If you read through 1 John, there are a number of tests for fellowship. Those tests are doctrinal as well as moral. They are communal as well. We are not of the truth if we hate one another. We are not of the truth if we deny uh, the person of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so again, when John speaks about the fact that the one who is, a, is, is, of a, is of a lie is the one who denies Christ, he's talking about the totality of the teaching that he's given in the body of his epistle. <clears throat> Excuse me. We also see this again in, in uh, verses 26 and 27 of the second chapter. He says this, I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. You see, there's John. The, the, the presence of false teachers is there. I'm writing about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received, a wonderful passage of scripture, speaks to us primarily about the teaching ministry of the Spirit of God in conjunction with the written word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that the, that the necessity of the gift of teacher is negated, but it means that the true teacher, remember like we said, the true teacher will teach the whole counsel of the word of God, having the Spirit of God aiding him in, in that endeavor. And John says this, I write these things again to those who are trying to deceive, about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And he means here false teachers. You don't have need of those false teachers. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and is no lie, again, there's our definition, no deceit in law and truth, just as he has taught you and abide and ye abide in him. Again, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, we've already noted this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding so that we may know Him who is true. What is the antidote to falsehood? It is knowing Him who is true. 
and a fog of falsehood. Falsehood. Where do we look? We look to him who is true. John goes on to say this, and we know, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So in a study of falsehood, in a study of false prophets and false teachers, in a study where we see that they come into the church itself, in a study where we see how can we discern between the true and the false, well, let me say this first and foremost. If you allow me to say this, you've been equipped this morning. may not have been the most smooth presentation, but you've been equipped this morning. And what you've been equipped with is the Word of God. You've been sketched, you've had sketched out for you the very picture, the very portrait of false teachers. You've seen the five things that define them over and over again in that second in that second chapter. You've gone through, again, much of the New Testament and trying to see and discern that these things are real here and now. But you and I, again, by way of the, the Word of God written and by way of the Spirit of God within us, we can see and we can discern. And you've had lastly presented to you Jesus Christ as the antidote, as that light that shines in a dark place. And so now we come to the point of how do we put all this into practice? Well, the first thing I want to say to you is this. Make sure that you understand from a passage like this that not every religious voice you hear is a voice from God. And that's not only those who are professedly not Christians. We, we live in a world of, that there are world religions. We understand that. And while we have to say no to those other world religions, that's really not what Peter's talking about here. Peter's talking about a setting that you and I are in right now where the church of Jesus Christ has gathered and where a man stands behind the pulpit with an open Bible. I almost hesitate to say these things because I don't want to create in your thinking any kind of fear along these lines, but I have to urge upon you a persistence in, in discernment and a persistence in a love for the truth and a desire to honor and worship God in and through Jesus Christ, and a demand from the man you hear preaching lead you to Christ and call you to personal holiness and godliness. That's the intent of Scripture. So as I said before, understand that not every religious voice you hear is from God. Know and understand the hallmarks of true biblical teaching. Know where the essential points are. Know where there can be no, 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 those places where there can be no compromise. Understand that there may be places where good professing believers understand things in a different way. That happens. But make sure that none of those things reach down into the foundation of Christianity itself. Understand that preaching and the truth of the gospel have at its aim and end the glory of God in Jesus Christ in the salvation of sinners, and in the formation of Christ-likeness and godliness in each and every one of them. You understand? Any preaching you hear that isn't to that end, don't waste your time with it. Seriously. Instead of listening to that, instead of listening to that, instead of listening to them, instead of listening to those individuals for, for half an hour or 20 minutes, sit down with your Bible for 20 minutes or a half an hour. This is, this, is, this is the light that God has given us. And so again, 
But let me say one more thing, and, and I say it for the benefit particularly of, of, of the young here today. Um, those, again, and we don't have as many young as I thought we would have here, but to the young, what I would say is this. Understand that you're in a period of life where, where people will not only try to give you spiritual guidance, but people will also try to give you moral guidance. They may even very forthrightly say that it's not spiritual guidance they're trying to give you, but general moral uh, 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 guidance. Even that moral guidance must be evaluated in the light of the scripture. Even that moral guidance has to come under the, 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 the has to come through the filter of the Word of God. We have to make sure that the that the guidance that we are being given is a guidance that is not prioritizing self over the spiritual reality of what God has called me to and made me. If my moral friend is guiding me in a way that just emphasizes my own personal well-being here and now and takes into account nothing about the fact that one day I will stand before God and give an account, that moral guidance, again, is, is not to be embraced. Oh, you see the scripture, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the holiness of each and every one of us. We have a lot of work to do here. We really do. And this is why. Because if you look at every one of those sins that false teachers are guilty of, the tendency of every one of those sins resides within each and every one of us. I wish I didn't... I wish I, wish I can say here, them, they, they, not us. Them, 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 them. Can't do it, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.